Hey, it's Maya Camille, one-third of Fakala Girls. And this month, we had the opportunity to have our very first live radio interview. Amazing. It was on WYPR's Midday with Tom Hall and Rob Civic in conjunction with the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies. And we would like to sp- send a special thank you to Heather and Annie for inviting us and having us. Thank y'all. Okay. Um, I will be remiss if I didn't mention the beautiful sisters that we met, Jamala and Bridget. Hey, girl, hey. Y'all was rocking up there in the production and all that, eating lunch with us and whatever. But make sure you stay tuned after the episode and after this interview and listen to ways that you can support us in the future. We appreciate you. And as always, we are the College Girls. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Tom Hall. Very glad you're with us for Midday. Today, it's another edition of Living Questions, a monthly series that we produce in collaboration with the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies, in which we explore the role of religion in the public sphere. My guests today are three African-American women who recently launched a podcast that they call For Colored Girls. Laura Kigwiba James is the recently appointed pastor at the Mount Vernon Place United Methodist Church here in Baltimore. It's great to meet you. Nice to meet you. And Tamika Young-Savage is studying to obtain her Master of Divinity degree at United Lutheran Seminary in Pennsylvania. She's also a vicar at Christ Lutheran Church in Washington, D.C. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. And Amaya Camille, a.k.a. Camilla the Killer, is a (laughs) Baltimore-based poet and spoken word artist whose writing addresses aspects of the spiritual. She's also on the staff of the Sand Gallery in Baltimore. That's an acronym that stands for Sell Art, Not Drugs. Terrific to meet you as well. Nice to meet you too. So welcome to you all. Again, the podcast is called Ford Collared Girls. Listeners, you are welcome to join our conversation. 410-662-8780. That's our phone number here at Midday. Our email, midday at wypr.org. And our Twitter handle, at Midday Tom Hall. And thanks to our good friend, Jamila Krempel, who is our digital producer here at WYPR. We are streaming on the WYPR Facebook page. So I'm intrigued by the name Collard, C-O-L-L-A-R-D. So Laura James, let me ask you first. It, 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 it struck me as a kind of a triple entendre. I mean, because I thought about collared greens. Yes. I thought about the clergy collar. Mm-hmm. And I also was put in mind of the play mm-hmm. that came out when I was a student in Boston and I saw it uh, for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. It goes way, way back. So, I mean, did I, are, are, are any of those three things actually related to what you were thinking about? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Precisely. Every single one. You got yes. it. Yeah. On yes. point. Yeah. So this is a platform particularly um, uh, keeping in mind the, the experience of African-American women and their affiliation with religion and church. Yes. Right? And it's also 
it's amplifying, I think, the voices of African-American women to really talk about faith, life, and culture, right? Because there's so many things that African-American women, um, we have for us that are beautiful, um, but specifically in the church, um, our voices are either silenced or forgotten. Um, and this is an opportunity for us to really speak and share and have conversations that we really haven't been able to have before, but also to talk about faith and also where culture like Cardi B or um, just our lives, like where it all intertwines. Um, and it really has, it's done beautifully in our mm-hmm. last few podcasts. Yeah, so, you got a couple yeah. of podcasts and uh, you mentioned Cardi B, who's a hip hop artist and that's the subject of uh, the first one. We'll talk about that in a second. But Maya Camille, it, it's interesting that at this moment, young people of all races are leaving the church. Mm-hmm. They are abandoning mm-hmm. organized religion in you know, striking numbers. Two in 10 Americans under the age of 30 believe that attending church is worthwhile, according to a, a recent <laughs> poll. 59% of millennials who were raised in the church are no longer attending church. So it's a particularly uh, ripe moment for a conversation for young um, African-American women in particular. Um, yeah. Uh I guess I'm young ish, right? Um, so, uh, church, is, church has been really interesting. Uh, I'm going to speak for myself. I grew up in church, was raised in church. Everything was church four or five days a week. Um, and as I've grown and learned, I've seen the hypocrisy and in the um, institutions can be very one sided. And, uh, institutions are very one-sided and as a young person we see like everything that we can do everything that we want to do everything that we want to change and sometimes the church is not fast moving and change and we want things to move we have the internet we have facebook we have everything is at our fingertips and the church can be very slow moving that can be frustrating when you want to um facilitate real institutional change Mm -hmm. and tamika laura james is an ordained minister you are studying to be uh, an ordained minister in terms of the training that you're currently receiving in mm-hmm. seminary, uh, are they hip to this? Are they? Uh, is this something that they're aware of? Uh, the, the challenges, and uh, how about the challenges in particular for women of color in the church? Yeah. Um, so I'm studying to be a Lutheran pastor, mm-hmm. and that is a very white church institution. <laughs> so I wouldn't say that um, the trend necessarily is for women of color in that regard. However, um, I do see a trend in the changes of who is actually um, on board and who is um, becoming the new leaders in the church and who is actually pushing the church forward. Actually, I think more like dragging the church into a more um, current and up-to-date understanding of the world. And um, so, so, yeah, I... I would say for me we are learning a lot about what it what what it means to be a leader in the church and how the church has changed and how people are not showing up and we have all kinds of names for people who don't come and mm-hmm. um, I don't like to use them um, but uh, I also think that with that there's a whole nother group of people who are rising up who see the importance of their faith and that do see the the importance of of religion and being in the church 
and they're not willing to give up on how we can change that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And Laura James, the the importance of gender mm-hmm. from a theological point of view yes. is uh, very apparent uh, in this in this podcast and in uh, what little I know about the work you're doing, having just listened to the couple of podcasts. But um, you say at one point in an introduction to the podcast that for girls who were always told that God was a man, mm-hmm. yes, you know, mm-hmm. until she spoke to them, mm-hmm. the importance of gender here. I mean, it comes right to the fore. Mm-hmm. Um, gender and the and the language that we have around gender, the voices that we've built around gender for it, um, for gender to be one specific thing, and specifically in the church that it's been a man and a white man, right? That Jesus is a white man, but yeah, y'all the know, picture of Jesus, area, which came from the nineteen fifties, <laughs> right? right. right. Yeah. The beautiful hair, yes, yeah. no and, blood, nothing. And what we've done is to kind of pull that image um, apart and reframe it through the perspective um, of women of color. Um, And I think in our last first podcast, Tamika did a wonderful job of bringing the story of Bathsheba um, uh, kind of to the front. And in in the story um, between her and David, you actually never hear the voice of Bathsheba, of how she is feeling and breathing um, after David (laughs) raped her. And here... um, um, with Tamika's storytelling, what we're able to do is actually bring her voice to the forefront. So it's not just about David, uh, the one who was loved by God, but it is really about this story of this woman who is hurting, who is real, and who has to do her own healing. And so gender, um, we're switching the language. We are kind of allowing um, a conversation to expand more than just a male and female, but the woman, white, right, uh, W-O-N. M-Y-N, and just emphasizing why that's important in scripture and theologically. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating because the story of David and Bathsheba is told from David's perspective. Oh, poor David. He's he's screwed up. He's messed up. He's got to, you know, repent. And 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 we're supposed to somehow feel bad for him. And you never hear Bathsheba's take on it at all. Right. And she even loses her name in part of it, right? So it starts off saying who she is, and then it's no longer Bathsheba. She's her husband's wife. And then it isn't until, like, they get to the part where um, they're mourning the death. David and Bathsheba are mourning the death of the child that her name comes back into play. And we lose a whole part of that story. And I think that that is true for how um, the church has, in some ways, silenced women and how we have lost some of the stories that actually build, that, that are built, that, you know, women have actually built a lot of what the church is today. So um, I think us amplifying those voices is bringing light to those kind of stories and narratives. Mm -hmm. And across faiths, too. It's not just the the Christian church. It's not just the Protestant church. It's the Catholic church. It's uh, Judaism. It's Islam. Yeah, yeah. Um, And Maya, Camille, uh, it's interesting that you bring in uh, in the podcast that you concentrate on a hip-hop artist named Cardi B. And you bring in the story, you all bring in the the story of Tamar, (laughs) Mm -hmm. the the daughter 
daughter-in-law of Judah in the what Christians call the Old Testament. But tell folks, uh, for white boys like me who were not familiar with Cardi B before I started thinking about our conversation, tell me, tell me why Cardi B is important to you and you think important perhaps to lots of young black women. Okay. All right, Cardi B. First You're of all, smiling at the, I, at the prospect of doing this. That's a great question. That's a great Maya question. <laughs> I love Cardi B. So Cardi B is a hip hop artist, a rapper from um, the Bronx in New York. And she started off her career as a stripper and then became Instagram famous from videos. And now she was she was on Love and Hip Hop New York and did music. And now she blew up. 2017 was her year. Um, I love Cardi B because she's uh, she reminds me so much of, of women that I've always admired from like Little Kim and um, Little Kim and Eartha Kitt and Etta James were women that did not care what you thought about them they were self-sufficient the validation that they needed came from them they didn't care if you thought they were loud they didn't care if you thought that they dressed a certain way they were just them um and cardi b is important to the culture like not just hip-hop culture not just not just hip-hop culture american culture as a whole because women have been put into this into very strict roles you're either a mother or a whore you know version of whore that duality and um cardi b is like actually i'm hella smart um can i say that can i say you just did all right I, I, I don't know whether you could or not, but you just did. I just so. did. Um, they gave me a whole disclaimer, like, Maya, you cannot use profanity. I'm like, <laughs> um, but she's very intelligent. She, she's a great businesswoman. She raps. She's, she raps. She writes, her, she writes her music. She's in control of her brand. And she speaks out about issues, women issues. Like, why is it that people are on Cardi B about um, her stripper pads or um, the men she's dealt with when we there are men in the hip-hop industry who degrade women in every other song. There are men who use women, their bodies, who talk about women in their songs as as if we're not anything but um, sexual objects. Sure. And she's taking those like those things that are bad, like yeah. being a stripper, being sexually free, being not uh, being fully clothed all the time. Like she's taking that and it's empowering. And it's like her power. And she took the control and the um, what am I looking for? Like the, the derogatory things that were said about her. She took them and flipped it, and yeah, now it's her superpower. Because Laura James, it's a, it's it's uh, you talk in the podcast about the metrics you use to define respectability, mm-hmm. and if respectability, if those metrics come from someplace else mm-hmm. other than from yourself, mm-hmm. that's a very different set of metrics, isn't it? It's very very different, um, and I think with our with our first podcast, what we were trying to do is really to expand that with what respectability was specifically with the civil rights and for. Um, African Americans who were trying to say in this majority white culture that we are not the criminals or the scary people that you think that we are. We're actually human beings. And what we were trying to kind of allude to with Cardi B is that despite her past or the boxes that we in our Puritan culture, our male culture force her into, she is a human being. She represents empowerment. Mm -hmm. She represents self-love and sex positivity. Um, and things that should be discussed. Um, and, I, and I believe in the podcast, I kind of talked about another side to Cardi B that um, isn't always discussed in terms of 
just our challenges with um, how in culture um, sex, being sex positive or um, isn't, uh, we don't talk about that specifically in the church um, and how to have that conversation um, with her and really to expand um, our understanding of what respectability looks like for us all and how um, we can really respect one another, see each other as human beings rather than having to be qualified for our humanity. Qualified, oh, that'll yeah. That'll preach. Yeah, that'll preach. You say that a lot that'll in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Well, we're going to give you a chance to preach a little bit more after we take a quick break. Before we go, I want to uh, give a shout out to Janet, who uh, contacts us via our Facebook page. She says, what a beautiful site. Thank you for this topic and streaming live. We need this in Baltimore. Keep up the spirituality and food for our souls. So you So thank you, Janet. <laughs> Laura Kigwebb and James is a pastor at the Mount Vernon Place United Methodist Church. Tamika Young-Savage is a Lutheran seminarian and a vicar at Christ Lutheran Church in Washington, D.C. Maya Camille is a Baltimore-based poet. They are the voices and the spirit behind the new podcast for Colored Girls. We're going to take a short break and then more of this edition of Living Questions. 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at WIPR.org. Our Twitter handle, at Midday Tom Hall. We're moving here in Studio A. We'll be right back. Stay with us. I'm a boss to a worker, worker, try to make bloody moves. Now she say she gon' do what a who? Let's find out and see. Cardi B, you know where I'm at, you know where I be. You in the club, just to party, I'm there, I get paid a fee. I be in and out them bent so much, I know they tired of me. Honestly, don't give up. You're listening to Your Public Radio, 88.1 WYPR. Welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up on the program tomorrow, it's our annual holiday special with Helicon, one of the region's most enduring and beloved musical ensembles. They're going to be playing live right here in Studio A, along with several special guests in advance of their winter solstice concerts this weekend. And coming up a little later today, theater critic Jay Wen Russick reviews Looking Glass Alice. That's the new thing at Baltimore Center stage. If you're just joining us today, it's another edition of Living Questions here on Midday. It's our monthly series on religion in the public sphere. We're talking with three women who have recently launched a podcast about their spiritual journeys called For Colored Girls. Laura Kigwiba James is a pastor at the United Methodist Church in Mount Vernon. That's right here in Baltimore. Tamika Young Savage is a Lutheran seminarian and vicar at Christ Lutheran Church over in D.C. And Maya Camille is a Baltimore-based poet and spoken word artist. Our phone number here on midday 410-662-8780 our email midday at wypr.org to find us in the twittersphere at midday tom hall and we are streaming live on the wypr facebook page let's go to the phones julia in reservoir hill welcome to midday with the creators of the four collared girls podcast uh yes hello to everybody hi my comment is, is it seems like uh, now the women want to um, make up stories about the women in the Bible and what they experienced, what they thought, all that stuff, just like the men did for the men in the Bible. It, it's, you know, it, it, it just seems like, well, to me, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the Bible is a good history book. And that's about it. 
So, because so is it no a good church. thing then, Julie? Is it a good thing that the, that the women are uh, bringing their stories forward? Or do you think uh, that's distorting your understanding of the Bible? Well, um, quite frankly, uh, I question the Bible, period, because it's been translated so many times in Smart. so many languages and so many times... The new translation doesn't have words to meet what was said in the previous translation. So they make up something that sounds like it might work, and they print it. You know, and if one thing that, that really set me off was when I was in college in humanities, we studied the Epic of Gilgamesh and Jesus Christ. Um, life. And they are so parallel, it isn't funny. And yet, Gilgamesh is supposed to be mythology. So, All right, well, thanks yeah. for that call, Julia, and you're getting some amens from uh, our panel here this <laughs> afternoon. I mean, Tamika, uh, you know, the, 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 the Bible is one of those uh, mm-hmm. fascinating documents and mm-hmm. fascinating books on so many different levels. Um, uh, theologically, historically, uh, our understanding of Jesus is very different. I mean, if you, I have a friend who's a Jesus scholar who says the, the best way to get totally confused about Jesus is to read the four Gospels. Yup. <laughs> they, they just <laughs> say different things accounts. about Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I actually don't disagree um, that there's a lot to question and that um, I actually think it's important to actually doubt some of it, to really think about it. Um, and I actually am very much into mysticism. Um, so I think the biblical texts have a lot of that to offer um, if we were to read it in that way. Um, and I also think that there's some very beautiful transformative stories um, there for us to hold on to. Um, whether it's a, a matter of us uh, inter- reinterpreting or adding things to the story, I think that that's actually part of part of living with it is to read the stories, read the Gospels, read the prophets, and to see how and where God is showing us the relevance now. And so um, that does not mean any in any way for me personally that that means that the Bible is inerrant. And I know we won't, we're not going to go there because that's a, like a long story. But I do think that that is a be- it's a beautiful living word that transforms us. And so for us to engage in that way, to think about the the stories, to think about what's in there and how that is changing our, and how our views are changing with it is, is part of our faith and part of what helps us to grow in that faith, right? And and Maya, uh, Camille, the, the, for lack of a better word, is the utility of the church. Uh, uh, does that come to fore when it comes to understanding the Bible, when it comes to the kind of critical reading of the Bible that Tamika is talking about, when it comes to um, the importance of doubt in a, a person of faith's life? Um, in other words, can that understanding of those texts be had outside the structure of the church is the church needed for that, uh, as opposed to you know the individual understanding of spirituality. 
I want to I want to I'm going to say yes and no. Yes, because in church you uh, get a community that you can speak with and talk to when you study the Bible together and you get a different perspective. Um you get the church perspective. Um so that's really if you if you've never read the Bible, if you learn in the Bible, that's a safe space to ask questions and to get answers. Um and then I would say no because um like I stated before, the church can be very rigid in very one way and if you interpret the Bible in a different way um, you get pushback and uh, I personally think the best way to understand something is to, for you to understand it completely for yourself before you allow other people's perspectives to taint how you're looking at it so church yes and church no like you don't have to go to church to read the Bible you don't have to be a churched person to understand the power of God or see God in everything that you are um, churches church is a great space a great space to facilitate learning facilitate community facilitate growth um but it it mm -hmm. i just it's just i have a rough yeah yeah kate writes in on facebook uh in a church now where some folks say they understand god as beyond gender mm -hmm. but never refer to god as female and challenge those who do thank you for being so intentional and in helping us deal with that disconnect actually and living out what we say we believe mm -hmm. so you know laura james uh, mm -hmm. people talk uh, certainly in the church that i go to and and you mentioned this uh, specifically on the uh podcast um, that we are created in the image of God. Yes, we are. So what does that mean to mm. you as a Christian, as a person of faith, and as a pastoral leader? What does the image of God actually uh, encompass? Wow, the imago Dei, right? The That theological term. Hmm. Um, right. This, I mean, this question, um, I'm unpacking this now as uh, a, going to my third year as a pastor, but this question kind of um, is stirred within my cultural background. So both of my parents are immigrants from Burundi, Africa, and there's this word um, in Kirundi, translated in Swahili as Ubuntu, and in Kirundi as um, Umuntu, which means uh, we are one. Um, and in my congregation, uh, there's a sense that um, that I see every single Sunday that whether it is from the unhoused person that has come off the street to the person who has their 401k ready to go, um, we are all made in this image of God, this living, breathing, real image where um, suffering, love, heartbreak, pain, um, none of there, none of us miss that. We all share it, whether you are poor or whether you are rich. Um, and so in the sense that um, that being in the image of God uh, really means that we kind of all have these similar experiences, kind of back to what Tamika was saying about um, the living and breathing part of scripture. Uh, something that I say is that the biblical experience is the human experience. Mm -hmm. um, it is something that, uh, you know, when you look at the Bible, uh, you know, there's everything in there from rape to addiction to poverty to economic class. And um, so when you begin to see yourself in the living word of God, um, it reminds you of your humanity. Mm -hmm. um, and then ultimately you see that, wow, 
this is who I am. This is who we all are. We are one. So. And Tamika, you talk in the podcast about the challenges that many black women in particular face when it comes to feelings of self-worth, of self-respectability, of feeling worthy, mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the messages that they're receiving, that you're receiving, and the folks you're uh, pastoring to, and, and, the, and the, the people you're studying with. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we have all of these conflicting things, you know, the misogyny that is very clearly a big part of uh, the of scripture, mm-hmm. um, the the uh, the you know uh, assertions to do things that uh, in antiquity that that don't translate to being done today sh- that they shouldn't be done today. Right. How do you, how do you reconcile those conflicts? You call that stuff out? Yes. <laughs> like I just yeah, I just feel like it's that's why that um, Janice the the caller her her comment about like I don't trust and I can't right. I agree. We should say the thing like the whole wives submit to your husband and how we miss all the rest of the parts. Um, <laughs> listen, <laughs> I get it. And also we're no longer in that place. So since we are not in that place for many of us, how then do we look at this scripture and its context and then look at it with how it can apply to us today? And if some of that feels and looks like misogyny or an ism that is oppressive, then we need to call it out Mm -hmm. and we need to reject it as not what God would have for us in community. And also question why the church wants to continue to have that as a narrative. Why aren't we questioning those things? If we aren't, let's evaluate it. Yeah. We're talking about the podcast called For Collared Girls, 410-662-8780, our email midday at wypr.org to find us on Twitter. The handle is at Midday Tom Hall, and we are streaming on Facebook Live as well. So, Maya Camille, um, in this particular moment for women, this particular political moment for women in our country and for women of color in particular, two things strike me. Um, Tuesday, it was black women who were the fuel behind the election of Doug Jones as the first Democratic senator in the state of Alabama in 25 years. 98% of black women voted for Mr. Jones, and they came out in record levels, even exceeding the levels of uh, African-American voters who voted for President Obama in 2008 and 2012. The other is the Me Too movement. And you talked very movingly in the second podcast about your own experience, because in addition to the hashtag Me Too movement we have a hashtag church to movement this is a this is a serious thing that doesn't get spoken about out loud very often and you had the courage to speak about your own experience um yeah uh it's this t-shirt that um I'm, I'm going to get us we need to get it um and it says uh don't worry i'll fix it black women like that's don't worry i'll <laughs> fix it black women because we stay cleaning up we we take care of the country i feel like we are the black backbone of america um malcolm x said a while ago that there's uh the most disrespected degraded group of people in america is the black woman and yet we still show up to save 98 percent of black women voters voted for for these this man like uh 
what more can we do? Like, <laughs> what else can we do? Um, we're, we're educated. We're smart. We take care of our families. We take care of our friends. We take care of each other. And 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 we some a lot of the times we still get left with the shortest end of the stick mm-hmm. because not only are we black, we're women, and we live in a patriarch society. So like. We're just like black and a woman. You're like, dang, like, uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, least, at least I got baby hair, you know, like something. Uh-huh, but, um, <laughs> um, but going to the Church to Me Too um, movement. Um, so how I'm finding my healing, um, dealing with my Church to experience. Um, if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear the full story. Um, is speaking about it mm-hmm. because for a very long time I didn't say anything. I just recently talked to my mother about it. Um, the person who committed the uh, act against me is no longer alive so I feel like it's time for me to um, just just to find healing in that because I do love church and my it happened in a church like it's no way to disconnect a great trauma in my life from a place that I found great peace mm-hmm. so um, just speaking about it just speaking my truth about it talking to people talking to a professional about it um talking to the ladies about it uh the worst thing i feel like we can do is not speak about it because you give your secret so much power when you don't name it i believe that i give my things so much power when i don't name it and i don't face it and i just let it be a dark corner in my life when you put light on it you see that yes it was horrible it was an atrocity however um it didn't make me it didn't break me I'm here 26 years and I'm still living, I'm still breathing and it's nothing that could stop my black girl magic at any point in time. And um, I feel like I've been given this platform to speak a truth that maybe some women aren't ready to speak about, but they hear me talk about it and they hear us talk about our stories and they can find solace in that and they can find hope and strength and Healing, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, like, well, amen to that yeah. for yes, sure. Amen. And and Lord James, the the role of the church in the broader context of social justice and the social justice movement, um, the parallels uh, that exist and that clearly don't exist between, uh, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement and the civil rights movement of Dr. King mm-hmm. uh, back in the '60s. Um, the role of the church with Dr. King certainly very central to the social justice movement. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you think it's as central or could be more central, have a, have a greater role in the social justice movement as evidenced by organizations like Black Lives Matter? I mean, where does the church fit into the larger picture uh, of that arc of justice, you know, uh, bending towards justice, the arc bending towards justice, as Dr. King said? Yeah, the church has a lot of work to do. Um, I think during the civil rights movement, the church was at the center and in several communities. Um, The church still is at the center, um, but with the intersectionality of race, gender, and economics right now, the church has some lamenting and reconciliation to do um, because in many ways, the church has been at the forefront of creating injustice. Um, And now, today, in many ways, we need to be at the forefront of bringing healing and reconciliation. And the first step towards reconciliation is lament. And in many ways saying, as a church, we have not, we did 
do this and then be able to figure out, so how are we together going to move forward? Um, And I think some churches, specifically uh, white churches and some black churches, haven't done that. Some black churches haven't talked about sexual abuse. Some white churches do not and will not talk about racism and how it is a sin. Um, And so those are the things that we need to begin to name, to lament um, in order for reconciliation and justice to actually take place. Um, Tell me about the racial uh, makeup of your church in Mount Vernon. It's right, you know, it's across the street from the Peabody Conservatory, Mm -hmm. right by the Washington Monument, Mm -hmm. Methodist Church. I mean, how does it break down? Yeah, so we are um, diverse, um, but we are still a majority, um, a a white congregation. Um, But then we still have Asian Americans, Africans, African Americans, uh, that we are a diverse um, congregation. But I'm the first black woman uh, there at this church that um, has been um, a white church for its history. Um, Mm -hmm. The church was constructed in 1872. Francis Asbury, uh, who was the first bishop of the United Methodist Church, um, his prayer, um, uh, kind of his prayer kneel, uh, I don't know what you call it, altar, kneeling altar is there um, in our sanctuary. Um, And it hasn't really ever had the sense of um, diversity, um, diversity being the narratives that are at play, right? That it's not just a white man that is preaching, but um, whether whether it is Asian American, African, or African American, um, that we are, are all of our narratives are part of um, scripture and this time of worship. So I think that is a new thing that we are stepping into right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Tamika, as you finish your master's in divinity and as you prepare to get a call somewhere to lead a church, um, there's a longstanding um, debate about the divide, the racial divide in the country uh, being uh, in, in some ways you know, magnified by everybody going to their separate corners for church. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dr. King himself said 11 o'clock Sunday morning is the most That's segregated funny. hour in the in America. Right. Um, so there is clearly a need for uh, a black church that is that can identify and be a safe space for people of color. Um, but there's also a need. People are looking to the black church, for example, to solve uh, the problem we have of violence in our city. You right. know, I mean, they, the black church is is, they, is larded <laughs> with all of these responsibilities yeah, to, fix you know, to fix it. Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, attention. How are you? How are you thinking about that as you prepare for a life in the ministry? Yeah. So one of the things that I constantly have conversations about on this specific subject <laughs> is that our racially segregated churches was done by design, mm-hmm. and so until we acknowledge that and lament over that, lament. yeah, mm-hmm. then we can start reconciling with one another and figure out ways that we can. I don't think it's necessarily about moving one church to another. But I mean, since we're all kind of decreasing, maybe it'd be a good idea um, Shade. <laughs> to to at least work in community with one another, specifically in the areas where there's like multiple churches. Right. So having more space where we can get over our possible theological differences and really work together in community and be the church that the people need, which is different, which is lots of different perspectives and a lot of controversy 
and some conflict. All of that needs to be able to be in the same space. Mm-hmm. So, it, as you say, it didn't happen by accident. Nope. nope. It did not <laughs> right. So we got to stop talking yeah. about it like it had been, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, oh, no. It has been a delight to meet all of you. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank and you. I look yeah, forward to hearing subsequent editions of the podcast. And uh, have a wonderful holiday. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Laura Kigwiba James is a pastor at United Methodist Church in Baltimore's Mount Vernon neighborhood. Tamika Young Savage is a Lutheran seminarian and a vicar at Christ Lutheran Church over in Washington, D.C. Maya Camille is a Baltimore-based poet and spoken word artist. The podcast is called For Collared Girls, C-O-L-L-A-R-D. Check it out. We'll have a link on our website, wypr.org slash midday. You've been listening to Living Questions. That's our series on religion in the public sphere, which we produce in collaboration with the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies. As always, we thank Annie Brackmar of the ICJS for her help. Coming up after a quick break, theater critic Jay Wynn Russick joins us. She's got a review of Looking Glass Alice over at Baltimore Center Stage. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you're looking for ways to support us in the future or to follow us or get in contact with us, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 4CollaredGirls. Also, we have a new Patreon. I know, right? Amazing. And if you want to support us in different levels, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash 4 Collard girls is different levels, you know, like meat meals because there's levels to it. So we understand that it's different levels or whatever. But yeah, follow us and like us. And again, thank you for listening. Peace.